Tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? So, Richard, last week we were talking about movies that were adapted from video games. And uh, it was kind of in preparation for Ready Player One, but just kind of to talk about the, the, the genre in general. This week we bring in a special guest to talk about Ready Player One with us. One uh, guest that we've had on the show before, Tim Stavers, creator of... Hooray! Dream of Me series. <laughs> yes, Dream of Me series. That's right. Uh, man, that was a while. That was a while ago. Was that like a year ago when I was on here? I think that was about a year ago that we had you on. Yeah. So, um, if you want an update on Dream of Me, we do. Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, so, I've been working with a producer in Texas um, to raise money for a feature that's based on the series. And this week, actually. Um, We'll be starting a marketing campaign and like a website launch where it's like pay what you want and that money will go towards um, towards the budget for the feature. So that's kind of awesome. exciting. Yeah, uh, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Uh, but uh, <laughs> at the very least, you know, I, I think it'll help uh, get some more people to see it and and gain some more attention. So that's exciting. Yes, definitely. I, I mean, I couldn't talk more great things about uh, your series, and now that to hear that you're moving forward in some direction, you know, that's that's incredible. I'm incredibly happy. Thanks for very you. much. Yeah. I'm pretty happy too. I'll be honest. <laughs> it's, it's it's been exhausting. So it's nice to have like that business mind that comes in and is like, okay, I'm gonna take care of all the, you know funding and and the business end of things because i just can't be bothered (laughs) well and that's that's always the hard part too right is to try to find that next you know financial leap because as a creative so many times that's what hinders you from creating is the money side of it so to be able Mm -hmm. to have somewhat of a product already that you can give to people that can then drive revenue towards creating something that's even bigger than what you've already made, I think is phenomenal. I think that's great. Yeah. And the biggest, the biggest advantage to having a partner is then they can go around going, I got a guy who's real good because nobody wants to hear an artist go around and talk about how great they are. (laughs) That's true. <laughs> that's true. You know, it's like it's so hard to sell yourself as an artist because you're like, uh, I sound like an arrogant prick. I like, I, <laughs> like how, how can you sell yourself while be like, I'm the best there is? Like, okay, easy, buddy, easy. You know, yeah, you got to have someone else to say it for you, right? You yeah, that. It, that's the 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 point of the hype man. You got to have <laughs> that hype right. man that's sitting there. You know, Flavor Flav. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly who I was thinking of. Why is Flavor Flav the first, the first hype man that comes to mind still to this day? He's just yeah, that dude. good. Uh, you, <laughs> yeah. Yep, he was just that good. Right. I, uh, I, honestly, I couldn't tell you right now what was the group that he hyped for. I could only think of him as the hype man. Was it uh, Color Me Bad? Oh my gosh, I know one. I, all I can think of is one song. It was. 
uh, 911's a joke in your town. That's the all. That's the only song. <laughs> Who sang that? Oh man, was it Public I have Enemy? No clue. Public Enemy. Public yes. Enemy. That's yeah. right. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Public Enemy. We're he really lived up to it. He terrible. lived up to his uh, his band's name. I'll say that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, he sure did. He sure did. I'm sure he's well. I hope he's well wherever he is. I think I just saw him in something recently. Like he was in the episode of. I think he was in the episode of Silicon Valley. Why or something. Is he really? I, I'm not sure if it was Silicon Valley, but it was something like, recently. That's super bizarre. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they should put him as a celebrity judge on like a Shark Tank type deal. That's what I where I'd like to oh. see him. That would be perfect. Would be I, I don't know if he has any money to invest, though. Who knows? You know, <laughs> like no, he just comes in and hypes up every product for the sharks every episode. During you know for that episode. Oh, I would probably watch that even more if that was the case. <laughs> uh, okay, Tim, has has there been any video games that you've played lately that you've just really dug? Got holy into? mackerel, dude! I haven't played. I haven't played a game. In a long, long time, but I still watch playthroughs, and I still keep up on the news just because I'm a big believer that it's it's you know contrary to what Roger Ebert used to say. I do think it's a, an art form, and uh, <laughs> I I will say, well, there was a re-release of some horror game. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was just re-released for the Switch. Um, Fatal Frame was that. What it was, or some—it was some like you're a journalist going into an insane, insane asylum. Man, oh, I can't remember that. That wasn't that. Uh, uh, oh, I think I played that Outbreak or Outlast. Outlast. I think that's what it was. I think they just yeah. re- released that a version for for the uh, Nintendo uh, Nintendo Switch. Switch. Yeah, and I, I was enjoying yeah, I- that. Um, there was an indie game that I watched a playthrough of that was it was black and white and it was like the second from these people who who released uh it was another indie game it's a side scroller and you're like this young boy going through inside? the woods is that what it was i, I don't, don't want to get think of- it's all defined by the ending and i don't want to give away give away right. the ending for anybody who's <laughs> who's playing it but um that was uh, that was looked like <laughs> the most fun <laughs> of a game that I'd ever watched. That was the first game where I was like, I may have to like set up a Steam account or something and, and get into this. But um, yeah, uh, I don't know. What about you guys? What have, what have you been playing? These, I mean, if everybody's you know, playing Fortnite. It seems like everybody's playing Fortnite to me <laughs> anyway as an outsider. I haven't gotten into Fortnite yet. I haven't gotten into any real games lately um i i I was gonna say i did play outlast but that was like a year or two ago and i didn't make it that far because it scared the bejeebus (laughs) out of me so uh yeah that i I don't do too well with the the uh uh, horror games Mm. but i i I mean uh portal is probably still my favorite game for a very long time i I love puzzle games like that Mm. so richard's the gamer he's the one that has his own Twitch channel and plays every week yeah. and stuff. So. Weigh in on this, Rich. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually had to find a way to motivate myself to use some of my free time to stream 
uh, and to play games because I was like, oh, well, if I'm going to play games at this point and I got so much other stuff going on, I should at least do it in a format that's going to like help grow an audience, help grow a community, uh, help continue, you know, progressing everything that I'm trying to do. Um, so, I mean, on there, it's it came out last year, but I've been playing through Mass Effect Andromeda. And uh, just recently, I picked up Sea of Thieves, which is a mm. Microsoft exclusive game that's put out by Rare. So those are the two that I've probably been playing uh, the most lately, which is still awfully limited, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, how is that Sea of Thieves? I, I saw you in Cedial. Uh, <clears throat> mm-hmm. Our friend Chris Miller, we're, we're talking about. Yeah. That. Um, so. I've probably never been so polarized on a game in my entire <laughs> life as as to see a thieves right i'm I'm currently trying to work on um a review video to put up on my YouTube channel, but it's weird um at times it's it's a lot of fun and it's a great game um but then at other times it feels like it's a game that should be in early access like there's a um, complete lack of, of content. Um, basically every item that's in the game that you spend your gold on is simply cosmetic. There's no progression at all, um, which is a little bit strange. And then, of course, it's open-world, non-consensual PvP, uh, which I think they banked a little too heavy on on that being the sole content that everyone was flocking to for fun. Uh, but at the same time, when you have a group of friends on there um, and you're playing, it is a, it can be a blast to really sit down and play with everyone. And on a, a graphics standpoint, it is it is absolutely a gorgeous game. Like the art style is incredible. The water and the and the physics of the water and how the physics of the water interact with the ship are probably some of the best I've seen in any game ever. Hmm. That well, that sounds like a. a- pretty good review gonna, i guess i'm gonna have to watch some playthroughs <laughs> yeah. yeah you should definitely i'll, check I'll watch it out. your playthroughs dude yeah, yeah uh it was crazy we we kind of impromptu jumped on uh sunday night and uh uh our buddy chris and i we we had been sailing around i don't know for maybe maybe 30 40 minutes we had been kind of cruising around doing these little missions and um they have kind of like an in-game raid, which is essentially – you see this, like, cloud in the form of a skull over an island. And usually we, we try to avoid those because there's only two of us. And a lot of people usually flock over to those because there's a ton of gold. But so we're like – we hadn't seen anybody in a long time. So we're like, you know what? Let's just go over there and try to do it. We go over there. We complete the raid with just the two of us. We load, like, 20,000 gold uh, into our ship. And then we go to turn it in, and as we're going to turn it in, this huge boat comes out of port and starts chasing us. We end up in this massive chase where they're shooting at us. They hit us once, and we were, like, taking water on, so we're, like, throwing water out of the ship on our like with our little buckets. And we're trying to get away from them, and all of a sudden, like, um, I'm down below, and I'm kind of, like, uh, bringing some stuff up, and I hear our buddy Chris start freaking out uh, and I look back and their ship is being attacked by the Kraken. So it's literally (laughs) like getting thrown up in the air by this huge squid and like ripped apart. And so we just start freaking out because we thought we were going to die. And um, 
Yeah, so we, we managed to turn all the stuff in. We got about 20000 in gold, and uh, we got saved by uh, Kraken Karma, as we are now calling it. <laughs> it was pretty wild. Well, that's – yeah, that sounds pretty wild, so – is there a feed of this that I could watch somewhere? Because this seems like something I want to watch. <laughs> Unfortunately, we weren't streaming or recording. We were just casually playing for a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of streamers that uh, that are on board with it right now uh, that have been playing it. I'm sure you can probably find some pretty good YouTube videos and stuff out there as well. Would you got Would either of you say that your your play style changes when you're streaming? Like does is it like, you know, like, are you, do people get camera shy as soon as they start streaming? Do they play differently or? Um, I think it depends on the person. Uh, I know I tend to get a little bit distracted more because I'm, I'm very focused on, I'm, I'm a little bit more focused actually on my interaction. So I'm constantly focused on the chat. So there are times where I kind of get lost in the game where I'm like, wait, what was I doing? Where was I at? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think I've met anyone that got really camera shy, but I guess you, I guess you could, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. it, it, it definitely yeah. could happen. I feel like le- raising I, the stakes. I don't know if it raises <laughs> the stakes at all. You're like, no, I guess though, the one, the one, I, I think I've only streamed one time, maybe two times, but, uh, I kind of became more of an entertainer while I was doing it right. just to, you know, make it more entertaining <laughs> for people. So, because otherwise, when I play video games, I'm trying to just. I guess I'm just like it's very serious. Mm. But uh, like I said, I was playing that Outlast game, and it was freaking me out. So I was definitely playing that, that up. That would be my fear: is that as soon as I, uh, like, when I'm playing, I'm uh, you know, like I always think of uh, the kid in the Wizard. You remember that movie? Yeah. Oh yeah. Remember that face he always had on when he was playing the game? Or he just, like, <laughs> I I I remember after seeing that, I started doing that face as a kid when I'd play like NES and be like. If I make that face, I'll probably be as good as the kid in the wizard. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was lying. That's good, 100% sol- the truth. It's, <laughs> I was going to say, it's good, solid logic right, right yeah. there. I, I, I understand You have it. to look at, like the wizard. And I was going to say, at, at very least, that's got to be game logic. I mean, at, at the very <laughs> bare minimum, it's got to be that. Yeah. Well, that was also the uh, the the movie that tried to sell us the power glove, which right. uh, you know, <laughs> it's like why are you strapping the controller to one hand and playing with the other? That's so stupid that nobody can play <laughs> anything. It was not. It was. I had one. That was. It was not useful right, at all. Yeah. It's so. just a cool, so Rick- uh, you know, clothing accessory now. Right. Actually, oh, you know what? <laughs> this is a li- kind of off topic, but not completely. I there's a there's a a video on Vimeo of a guy who is a stop motion animator, and I think he was on, I think he was a stop motion animator on um, uh, Robot Chicken, and there's a video of him, and he hacked a power glove and changed all the <laughs> buttons so that he could that he could use the software with it it's insane what? like you've got to watch that because you'll immediately go oh man there are some uses for the power glove like <laughs> it's no, an incredible no, video saw... it's an incredible video the dude like it I... clearly loves his job like that's what i appreciate yeah i i saw that at uh nerd hq at san diego comic-con like two years yeah. ago he was using that to make uh the robot chicken episode right, right? There. yeah it's insane like it it's so cool to watch like what he did and like all the stuff that <laughs> i mean that's 
some yeah, that's some knowledge. I mean, like the guy's a stop motion animator, and he's hacking <laughs> into a power glove, <laughs> and like I, I don't know, it was so cool. I, it, it, I could see like if you marketed the power glove as that type of a accessory, I could see it like being more applicable today. Right, yeah. like we got to bring it yeah, back right. to you know edit <laughs> Premiere and Photoshop right. shortcuts and all that sort of stuff. Like that'd be Dude. pretty sweet. <laughs> totally. Oh man, I'm on a power it's glove. Totally, now. <laughs> and, and, and it's totally right for nostalgia, right? Yeah, now, too. yeah right. Absolutely. Prime yeah. time on that. Yeah, We're, I mean that's that's some that ties right into Ready Player One if we want to tra- if we are if we're, if we're yeah. ready to are we ready to talk about that yet? are we ready for we're ready one? to talk about it <laughs> uh, and honestly I'm surprised something like that didn't show up in the movie like it seems like that would have been a perfect mm. ar- artifact or something for them to to, to show yep. up to to blow it right out of the out of the water but maybe they just didn't have it with uh well yeah. Uh, a deal with For, Nintendo. Yeah, I was gonna say, from what I understand, Nintendo and their licensing is usually pretty strict. So I have a feeling that's why we didn't see, you know, really that much IP from Nintendo in the movie. But we saw a whole bunch like of IP, uh, Nintendo IP in Wreck It Ralph. True, mm, but that's, that's true. also Disney money. <laughs> that's right. So you say, yeah. You say uh, uh, Universal doesn't have Disney money? <laughs> Not for the sheer onslaught list of intellectual properties they have to license for just this one movie. I mean, it was in a plethora. Yeah. It was insane. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it was, uh, it, to, it was crazy. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm oh, getting okay. caught up thinking about how many IPs now because I was like, I, that didn't even cross my mind while I was watching it. <laughs> did you happen to read the book uh before you you watched the movie Tim? i did not i did not okay uh yeah i mean i i did the audio book before i read i watched the movie and i know richard actually read the book mm-hmm. before he watched the movie so i i wonder if there's going to be any differences between our opinions because of that um before we get into the actual movie like spielberg making this movie uh i just i just read that while this was well, while Industrial Light and Magic were were doing the special effects for this movie alone, he made the post. He you know shot, edited, got Academy Academy Award for all that stuff. I mean, I, I think it definitely shows in the movie. Anybody? I'm not sure if I. Oh wait, I, I'm not sure if I totally followed what show. Yeah, what shows in the movie? How many oh, special effects oh, oh. And, and the v, the VR effects and stuff like that that they had to create for this movie and why it would have took so long for them to do it that he could make a whole other movie and then get an Academy Award for it? Well, I think I think the Academy Award might have just been happenstance. Because um, if not, <laughs> then let's do this. Um, uh, Tim, start all the, the effects for uh, Dream of Me, the feature right now. We'll make okay. another movie while you're doing that. We'll all three win Academy Awards. And, uh, you know, then uh, then money. I think that's how that goes. Um, <laughs> then money. <laughs> but, I mean, to be fair, it does make sense because uh, basically everything that we're seeing inside of the Oasis is animated, right? Like, it's, it's, it's almost 80% animated, it feels like. Maybe more. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, I, I will say that. Can I be the first one to have like a 
I don't want to be the negative Nancy, but <laughs> does anyone else feel like the motion capture um, is kind of el- more elderly directors don't want to go on location anymore? They want to sit in a chair in a nice studio. So they're all adapting <laughs> to motion capture so that they don't have to go outside or like go to go to the Tunisian desert like they did when they were, you know, when they were in their 30s and 40s when they were first starting out. I, I don't know. I feel like that's why they're all like pushing this technology. Because like, my, like my... James Cameron, Spielberg and uh, like Robert Zemeckis, like all the guys who are huge in the 80s now are like uh, or like Lucas, like they all want to sit somewhere. And be comfortable while they direct. I don't know. I, I just feel like that's maybe a thing. No, I'd, I could totally I could agree with you that. on that. I do think this – I kind of – see. I, I feel like this movie kind of warrants it a little bit. Though, oh, yeah. Right, right. But, right. but true. I, yeah. Like if he was like, we're going to green screen mocap all of Forrest Gump 2, I'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> right. You know, right. That, that doesn't make sense. But yeah, you're I right. Guess- I guess I'm more. I'm, I guess I'm more saying that's why they're attracted to this type of these sure. types of stories and material uh, because it gives them, you know, just a little bit more, uh, uh, more of a uh, set that they can just go to every day and and you know they have children and families and stuff yeah. so they're like I'm going to do this because you know because he uh, did Spiel- Spielberg did BFG he's done this yep. um, mm-hmm. what what else was didn't he what, also what do was it 1010 or something like that that was animated? Yeah, right. The Adventures I think, of 1010? I think that was him. I, I think so. Yeah, which was good. I thought that was okay. Yeah. And I would assume that there was some probably green screen work for uh, Minority Report. Right. So. Oh, I it, like, it's, it, like it became more and more like green screen work as like time went on. Like they were like, <laughs> yep. man, I really don't want to go to that alley again. <laughs> 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 It's like their long-term directing goals is to get one of those like hover chairs from Wally and just like cruise around on like green screen set everywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh. And I would assume that in the post, uh, I didn't I didn't watch it, which I'm very upset with myself. But I would assume there's a lot of sets in that as opposed to outdoor on location shit that uh, he had mm. to shoot. So I, maybe that, I mean that's a set, just not a virtual sure. set. Yeah, I feel because I uh, it's strange because I feel like, you know, these guys whose background mostly like Spielberg's background is live action is like transitioning into into kind of an animated realm. You know, he he seems to be mm-hmm. doing more animated stuff. And then you have someone like uh, uh, came and went. Uh, oh, like Brad Bird, whose background is completely in animation. And then I'll, you know, then he did like the Mission Impossible movie, which I, uh, whatever it was, uh, Ghost Protocol. I, I don't know, I don't know the names. <laughs> yeah, I think four, it was bo- four Ghost or five. Well, I don't know, one of them, four or five. <laughs> but, uh, but like, um, it's a, it's interesting to watch those guys go from from one, you know, medium to the other. And like, then you had like John Carter from Mars, who like Pete Doctor's background was all animation with Pixar. Uh, and then he did that, and uh, and then everybody complained that he wanted everything so perfect that that's why it went over budget. And it's like, you know, I don't know. It's just it, it it it's it's interesting. It's cool to see all these directors being able to jump from medium to medium now that uh, the you know the in the digit the lines are yeah blurring. It, it, in the digital realm. It's like there's so much digital 
um, tools that there's so much crossover now that it's like, you know, you don't know what you're going to see when you go to some of these things anymore. Like how much live action, how much, how much CGI are you going to see in these things? So I don't know. Some it's interesting. <laughs> I don't no, know why it's, it's ha- happening, but it's, it's that is pretty interesting actually. And I, you know, I, it is, I don't know. It's just fascinating to like, think of where the industry in, in general is at and how that's, you know, technology is continually having an impact on on filmmaking and filmmakers in general you know it's pretty fascinating which i think um that kind of i did anyone else get the sense that ready player one was like almost spielberg going we're entering a new era you know like like (laughs) him being like here's the movie to end all uh, you know, kind of CGI mocap. Like we're gonna throw every property from the history of pop culture <laughs> into a movie, and then so that everyone can go, "All right, that's nostalgia. This nostalgia's over. Now we're gonna, now we're gonna go, go. Now we're gonna go forward." You know, like all the fan service is done, and we're yeah. moving on. Is it? Yeah. Did anyone else kind of get that sense, like from from it? Well, or? I, I definitely think that it's kind of the the old guard, you know, ushering in the new guard kind of thing. Because, you know, he's already gone on record talking about how he, he feels that the superhero movies are very much uh, a flash in the pan and a fad. And, and all those movies are shot in Atlanta on green screen rooms and stuff like that. And this was kind of his version of that. It's, a, it's one of those these big superhero uh, comic book movies without being an actual superhero comic book movie, even though he has a few superhero comic book characters in the movie at, at places. So it's kind of like him, like saying, "Yeah, you know, let's let's I'll, I'll throw my stuff in there too. I, I'll show you that I can I can make these movies. I just don't want to, or kind mm-hmm. of thing. I, you know, I, I don't know. That's how I I saw it as <clears throat> rich. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I I'm just trying to I'm just trying to think about it because you're right, like. I don't know. We kind of had this conversation a little bit last week, too, where, I mean, like, this kind of feels coming full circle for Spielberg also. I mean, who started off with, like, you know, films like E.T., Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, which were all kind of these really big adventure epics, you know, and and this kind of feels like that. It almost feels like uh, kind of like what you were talking about with like the video games, like like the remastering, right? Like when you take this like old game with like eight bit graphics, and now you're like, look at what we can do today. Like that's kind of what it feels like because I mean, this is at its core a very Spielberg movie. You know what I mean? Like it, it's and a lot of his movies recently haven't felt like that. Like you said, The Post yeah. and some of his other movies, even going back to like Indiana Jones five or whatever it was four or five whichever one it's four the crystal skull yeah yeah. like i mean you get to that and you're just like this doesn't feel the same as the original movies and like this ready player one feels like a closer uh you know brethren of of his culmination of filmmaking styles than some of his other work as of recent you know i i will say that like the opening the 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 long kind of take where uh you know the lead is coming down um you know and we're seeing all the people with it with their VR headsets doing their thing and then the the final shot that was kind of like this crane out of like everybody before they kind of had their little his little epilogue narration I don't know why or but 
when it got to those were the two parts where I felt very it felt very Spielbergian to me. Mm-hmm. If that's the mm-hmm. if that's the, the right way to say it, but <laughs> the, the it's definitely the, now. The, the ending. <laughs> I don't know why, but for whatever reason, my mind went to Hook. It hmm. felt like oh. it felt like Hook all of a sudden there at the end, like it, it, right down to um, uh, Simon Pegg. Uh, his character and like his interaction and stuff, it felt very like very much like Hook in a in a weird way. And I have to say, uh, Simon Pegg's uh, American accent I thought was pretty good. I I was like <laughs> I was I was waiting to I was like oh he's doing an American accent oh cool okay all right cool. I don't, I don't know why he needed to do that for that character, but I was like oh interesting. I liked it. Yep. Yeah. No. That. Yeah. I. That. I. I didn't think about that at first, but you're right. His, his American accent was, was pretty pretty spot on. Uh, I I do I did I do see where you're getting the hook thing with the whole Simon Pegg kind of revealing himself to be the the butler mm. uh, or the archivist or whatever the museum curator. The curator that's what it's called. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that 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 felt like what you were talking about to mm. me. Uh, that whole the whole. Uh, I found myself wanting them in the real world more. I, I liked the cross cutting there at the end where, with during the chase sequence where, uh, you know, everybody's kind of outrunning everybody. Uh, cross cutting to me is like one of those things that Spielberg really does well. Um, whereas like Christopher Nolan always does cross cutting. And sometimes I'm like, no, no, leave me in this scene. Like I want to watch, <laughs> I want to watch that scene play out. I was like, stop pulling me out of it and shoving me back in. But, um, I, yeah, I, th- I thought, um, I felt like the live action stuff, um, got to a point where I was like, oh, I want to see more of this, but, uh, but, and I think, I think the interesting thing behind that is, is that goes for me at least into the realm of where the movie starts to heavily deviate from the book, mm. because in the book you do get quite a bit more uh, ex- exposure to the real world and to events happening in the real world. There's, you know, yes. there's a lot of things that happen where after he gets the first uh, key. He gets a lot of money. He eventually, you know, moves into his own apartment. There's, like, a whole big thing that happens with him, like, moving to this apartment and, like, setting it up. And, like, there's... Well, he's also in hiding right. because it, this is after the point where they, he, they had to, killed yeah. his aunt. And, mm. and yeah, so he's he's actually bought himself a new identity and stuff like that. Yeah. So that... All all that seemed to have gotten skipped over in the, in the movie, I, I'm guessing, for time. And uh, that's one of the things that I, I, I want to say I did enjoy this movie, but I felt like uh, they really chinsed us on the whole, you know, character development. Yeah, I would uh, I would totally agree with you. And, and that was one of the things that jumped out at me is in the start of the book, um, Parzival is confined to the school planet, the education planet. Like he doesn't have enough money to leave that. Um, and you know, that speaks a great, deg- a, a great, I can't talk a great deal to, you know, the socioeconomic struggles of the real world and the Oasis and how they interact. And I feel like you do lose that. I feel like there's a huge implication of like the damage we've done to the environment. Um, and, and that, that, uh, you know, there's social commentary there that I thought got lost as well. So there definitely is a lot more in the book that would have exposed you to 
quote unquote the real world and and I do agree with you I do think it is a little unfortunate that due to whatever reasons time constraint or the story that they were trying to go with this time a lot of that seemed to get uh, thrown away because I think it was part of what made the book really powerful yeah speaking as somebody who who didn't read the book I will say the two major issues that I had with it were uh, kind of feeling like uh, I'm being told about the characters rather than kind of spending enough time with them to kind of gather what they're all about and, and where they are. And I will say like the team, his clan felt, they all felt a little bit underdeveloped. Um, the character, I can't remember any of the names, but the character that was like the big strong dude that's revealed later to be you know, spoilers, uh, <laughs> uh, re- revealed to be a girl. I thought that one was was the only character that we got a sense of, like, what the character is about just by watching the character and him interact. H. Um, right. And, and H, yeah. yeah. And I, I've heard... Uh, I've heard from other people that read the book that like much of the like the the plot the story doesn't really get going until you're well into the first you know a, a lot of pages of the book that's what I've heard anyway. Yeah, I would say that that's completely true. There's a lot of characterization that uh is lacking from the movie. One of the other things that uh they seemingly left out for no re or they, they did leave out for no reason was uh Daito and Shoto. They were brothers in the book, and in the movie it refers to them as friends. And I was like, well, that's literally doesn't make any sense. It's one line of dialogue. You're just like, yeah, this is my brother. I mean, like, I, there was absolutely no reason to, to change that the way they did, I thought. It, it makes it really weird because then you're like, wait, why is this 11-year-old kid just <laughs> running around with these people? Like, where are his parents? I, I just thought they were brothers. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the book, yeah, they strange. are. And it yeah, makes that, I mean, that's how sense. it seems. It seems like they should have been now that yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was super weird. And they, and then they, uh, they, uh, they obviously, um, it, it, to me, they, you, they just show up. The two characters just mm-hmm. appear and it's at, it seems almost out of nowhere. You have no backstory to them. Uh, and all of a sudden now, they, now they're the high five and you're like, I, who are these other people? I don't understand. And one of the things that they they left out from the book that they didn't put into the movie was uh, the fact that uh, Daito is killed yep. in the real world, mm. and uh, they manufacture that in the movie by having him sit out the last fight for most of it, which was I thought was just strange because he's just sitting there and they keep they keep they keep yelling at him to hey now would be a good time for you to join in and help out kind of thing. But he's just sitting there. And there's, like, I don't know if he's supposed to be preparing for war, if he's trying to do a whole Shogun uh, Bushido thing or what. But in the, in the movie, it's because his character's not there. Or in the book, it's because his character's not there. So I didn't understand what was going on in the movie. I will say that much of much of the the big battle sequence before we get to, like, kind of the, the quieter ending where it's just him in the game, the final game, uh, felt a little bit hodgepodgey. It felt like they were cutting things out. Uh, for I mm-hmm. felt like if any place that they were going to cut stuff out for time or whatever, that probably would have been the place to to yeah. uh, to have it, to have had it happen. So it did kind of feel a little bit disjointed by the time we we had the battle going because 
I, I the only the biggest problem with the big battle sequences now is like every almost every movie now is like, well, you gotta have a big battle at the end. I was like, no, you don't. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. I was like, I I would love to see a movie where the hero and villain t- discuss things and then come to an agreement just for a change of pace, you know? Like, <laughs> and be like, all right, you you. Know. you- you almost get that in Doctor Strange. He he comes in yeah. and he does his little time loop That's and right. he, he's like, hey, look, there's no reason. I know I can't beat you, so we're just going to be here forever. Right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I want to say is that the big battle scene at the, at the end of the movie, um, it really worked on me. Like up until that point, the movie was to me was very lackluster. And then that last that last act essentially is what really brought me around to enjoying this movie. And I, I will, I'll have to say it's probably because I got to see all the different, um, nostalgia IP in that scene, just because I was like, Oh man, there's the, there's serenity from, you know, from firefly. And then, Mm. uh, I remember my I was with my buddy and the, when the, the guy throws down the Gundam suit, he he freaked (laughs) out. I was like, Oh, that's fucking awesome. I don't watch that, but that's awesome. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of great, great things to see in that but should that have made the movie better for me i don't know really <laughs> do, do either of you have like uh i already have an answer to this but i want to ask you guys to see if it's the same uh do you have a like a high point highlight of the movie that yeah I, mitch you're, for you it was clearly the battle sequence at the end yeah that that end battle okay. sequence was probably rich yeah. do you have like a highlight or I think, a high point well for me you know i was such a big fan of the book like i i've i've read it a number of times really really enjoyed it and uh you know obviously i knew there was going to be some things that changed but like going into it you know, I was a little disappointed at at the race. I think that sequence is fun. I think it makes sense for the film that they're doing. But I like how the first key is discovered in the book better. So I was a little let down by that. However, I will say they they change the way that the second key gets discovered. But it works. It's it's a similarity, but it's different, right? And I think what makes it yeah. so great is that it is The Shining. It is, you know, Spielberg giving this time and this nod to Stanley Kubrick, who he was friends with. And, you know, he stepped in and finished AI when Kubrick passed. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, to me as a, as a film fanatic, as a, as a Stanley Kubrick fanatic, as a Spielberg fanatic, that was just this culmination of like the entirety of of their friendship and their careers like you know coming ahead in a new way and i you know i really really loved that sequence in the movie where they went through kind of recreating elements of the shining i thought that was fantastic that was exactly the part i was going to mention nice (laughs) yeah i uh i it like at for whatever reason, I was like, I don't know if this plays to a younger crowd. I was like, are any of them going to go watch this movie? It's one of the most screwed up movies there is. Right. And then, but at the same rate, I was like, just kind of amazed and delighted at, I was like, you know, that, that is a very, this is like a kind of a, a very real possibility in the age that we live in now where you could theoretically, like that's a movie that takes place in one set location. Mm-hmm. So you could theoretically make a VR version of the entire movie 
And you could be like, here, put on this helmet and just walk around while the story takes place. And you could be like some fly on the wall viewer. And, <laughs> and like that's where my mind went because I was like, that would be so bizarre and weird. Um, and it, and I thought the the effects and like the recreation of the whole thing, I just thought that was like really a lot of fun. Uh, uh, that whole sequence, I was like, this is kind of a blast. I was like, I want it. I was like, I, if that was how they found a bunch of keys – like <laughs> I, I was like I would I would have gladly sat through like three or four more keys if these are the ways they're gonna do you know gonna do those sequences and those scenes where they're like going into these these uh, film set type of type of deals I was like that could be that could be fun yeah, yeah. I I thought it was awesome and and just the whole like blood elevator sequence where H just gets <laughs> swept away I was just like that's every nightmare i have about watching that <laughs> movie yeah right yeah when so it's interesting oh, oh go ahead. i was just gonna i was just gonna gush more about the the sequence with the in the snow and the uh in the maze where i just had like the same <laughs> thing i was like yeah and then when they i i will say it was it it did seem like they just kind of they were like they had this crazy fun sequence and then we got kind of yanked out of it and i was like oh okay I was like, "All right, okay. <laughs> I guess we're. I guess that's over now." But, uh, but yeah, I enjoyed. That. So I was going to say was that uh, it's funny that the two filmmakers were the ones that enjoyed that that scene the most. And from what I had heard from other reviews and other other people, uh, it was kind of fifty fifty for like people that were saying that it was great because the two that Spielberg and, and Kubrick were were friends and you know he kind of paid homage to him. And then other people were like, well, he shouldn't have done that. He totally, you know, he put this masterpiece movie into this popcorn film, something that, you know, Kubrick would have probably been against kind of thing. And, uh, I, I mean, how do you guys feel? I mean, obviously you like the, the, the scene, but I, I mean, how did you feel about that? Uh, I don't know. I, I guess my first inclination was, would be that anybody who says they know what Kubrick would have thought is crazy. <laughs> um, True. <laughs> Because uh, I did, I have heard from the two of them. You know, they were close friends, and I I read somewhere that uh, Spielberg has said to Kubrick once. He was like, "Man, I would love to be able to make the films that you do." And Kubrick said, "Are you kidding me? I'd love to be able to make the films that you do." <laughs> um, so it's like it's just. I think there there's a certain there's a certain mutual respect of like this is the way I these are the movies that just come out of me. And they each were like, these are the movies that just come out of me and these are the movies that come out of him and I like watching those and he likes watching the other ones. So I I will say um, the only complaint that I have heard that I think is kind of legitimate is <clears throat> how how popular would that type of movie be in the future to a bunch of teenage kids? Somebody, somebody basically compared it to like an 18-year-old or a 16-year-old today being like, oh, man, are you really into Buster Keaton? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I love Buster <laughs> Keaton films. And you're like, what are you talking about, you weirdo? You watch <laughs> much, watch silent films from the 1920s? What, are you out of your mind? Like, have you seen stuff from, you know, today? You know, have you seen Thor? You know, like something like that. You know, so I, well, it's, I that's think a legitimate I, uh, kind of point to me, I, I, I guess. Well, I think it's funny that you bring that up because I think since I ever – did the audio book. Uh, this is something that I constantly think about is that essentially this, this man holiday mm-hmm. uh, reshaped the world in his own image by giving this contest. I mean, before he dies, 
people might have been into things that he was into just because he created the Oasis, but he dies and he leaves this this will saying, "Hey, if you can figure out my shit, I will. You will win all my money and the you know uh, the ownership of of the Oasis." So everybody just then dives into everything about him and everything he loves. So that becomes the new zeitgeist. That be- he essentially just reshapes the world. So I mean, that's the only reason why I would say that would work is because so many people would have been interested in what he was interested in. That The Shining works for you know for that for that new. Well, future. and to be fair, though, I mean, there is a couple of them when they go into the movie that are like. I've never seen this. Like, what yeah, What do we do? So, I mean, true. like, I think there is, uh, like you said, yes, I definitely think Halliday had a huge impact and a huge influence. And obviously, I think the book does a better job of kind of illustrating the impact that the hunt for the Easter egg has on the entire world, basically. But, you know, I, I still feel like even, and again, yes, I think that's true. That is a good point to to look at right is like would all of these future kids be obsessed with the 80s probably not nearly in the way you know that kids are now but with this easter egg hunt i think that does come into play a little bit but but yeah i think at least with them kind of showcasing that there was some of them that were there that weren't familiar with it even if it was because it was a horror film and they didn't like watching horror I think it's at least a subtle enough thing to be like, okay, you know, because that's a handful of people that are, are referred to as, uh, what is it, Gunthers in the in the movie, in the book, that they're, like, fanatical about Halliday and what he does. So I think it does make sense that all of them would have some sort of knowledge. But I think there is, like, we see it kind of, right, with when IOI goes in, they're getting murked left and right by <laughs> all these ghosts and stuff. So they obviously weren't super familiar with the IP, you know, the or the film, however you want to say it. So I, I, I don't know. I think there is evidence to to showcase that maybe a little bit. Oh, I think yeah, I, I think it it works totally within the the realm of this uh, of the character who designs the world. I think it it totally backs that up. I guess I guess my thing is I always back up from us from material and I go. Okay, the the writer of the book is writing this. So is he, he th- you know, it, it's like it's but it's for young audiences. So like, is his motivation why that movie? Is his motivation this scared me as a kid, and I want other kids to like, you know, other kids to learn about it. I want to keep it alive, like, or because well, I just- I agree with you, it works within H- Holiday and. I will. I found myself wanting to see that character more. I wanted to see him right. a lot more. You know. No, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I will say this though: in the book, it's not The Shining. It's a bunch of it's other Ferris Bueller's um, '80s okay. movies. They, it's essentially the same type of thing where they get sucked into a movie, but the difference is the game element is they have to reenact every line of dialogue from that movie perfectly in order to uh like progress so it's it it's different but it is uh, again it the the argument's still valid i think you know younger audiences reading the book are going to be like what movie is this um, and so, you know, there is, I agree, there definitely is uh, an interesting thing to be made there where it's like, well, 
was it nostalgia? Was it him trying to turn a new generation on to the things he loved growing up? And and I think there's maybe a bit of both of that going on. Because mm. the at what point that like the strange thing is is that at, at what point and who decided? Um, oh, I'm gonna. I like this idea in the book. It's probably probably Spielberg. I like this idea in the book, but I'm gonna tweak it to suit my tastes. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure his choice was was The Shining. You know, I'm sure he had the ultimate uh, ultimate say over you know that, how that particular element in the book was going to be translated yeah. into the into the film. I don't know. That that, that could be uh, an interesting thing to look into because. At this, so that was, I guess, that was the only thing that kind of, some of those things kind of conf- worked against each other because you have a, a guy who, who, who really grew up watching movies in the '30s and '40s, now make, who is making the movies that he's referencing in a film, to 30, 40 years after, <laughs> after, after, like kind of the height of his career. Um, where he made some of the biggest pop culture icons in cinema history. So it's like, but a lot of the stuff he was doing in the 80s and the early 90s and the late 70s was based on the stuff he liked as a kid. So it's like, it was it was interesting. I mean, it works in the sense that that is what it, it kind of is all about. It's like this all cross-generational pop culture stuff just coming, just being all meshed together in this, you know, in the Oasis world. Cause like the avatars and stuff that the kids are being or, or creating, um, are much more in tune with what kids today are playing and mm-hmm. what they're into. And, 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 and then like, but then like the, the holiday, the holiday character is, you know, he's like the old guy who's like, Oh, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, the, all of that stuff, came together nicely but i mean at the same rate that's a it's a huge balancing act i gotta say anybody who was going into that being like we're gonna nail it perfectly and <laughs> like, you're, out of, you're out of your mind man i wouldn't even try I mean, like, it's hard enough to make something original never mind take make something that's going to try to please so many different people who have so many different tastes so yeah oh yeah you know? Absolutely. No, that's. I, I think when I first heard this movie was being adapted, or this book was being adapted, I said that that was you know something crazy to be taken to be taken on uh, with all that different IP. And I mean, I, 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 the person that would probably be able to do it would be Spielberg, and I, I would say that he pulled it off. Uh, the box office, I think they did what fifty million or something in the first weekend, and it's kind of trickled down after that they're at almost 400 million worldwide against uh estimated 175 million uh production budget i believe well there you go yeah i was i was surprised to learn the production budget was was that i I mean i say low but like i'm comparing it to like you know (laughs) the the biggest budget generally now is like 250 to 300 Mm -hmm. um and i was like uh, i was kind of surprised to hear that it was uh 175 but it wasn't wasn't Justice League like four hundred million so, uh, something like that. I think that, it was I estimated like. to be around that. And then I mean, when you look at Infinity War Part One and Part Two, their production budgets are around five hundred million a piece. 
So, I mean, yeah. when you hear 175 million, when you look at the amount of CGI and effects and 80% of the movie or more being animated, like, yeah, that, that number sounds statistically low. The other thing that's fascinating to me about this whole situation, though, is that Spielberg... Okay, so we'll backtrack a little bit. There's another author, uh, Daniel H. Wilson, who wrote a book called Robopocalypse. Spielberg acquired the rights to originally make that as a movie, which I was losing my mind about. Because I was like, this is this book is awesome. Um, I, I was like, I can't wait to see this. Then, like, flash forward a little bit later, he buys the rights to make Ready Player One. And is like, well, I'm going to make Ready Player One because the technology is not sufficient for me to make Robopocalypse. And I'm going, wait, what? Like, that doesn't even... I mean, we've been animating robots pretty effectively since <laughs> Terminator. I mean, I don't understand, mm. you know, like, this is monumentally, like, different. But I don't know. Here it is. And, and he still hasn't done Robopocalypse. So I don't know. I, I, it's absolutely crazy. Actually, I think... I think there was some recent news where he he's dropped Robopocalypse altogether. He, last I heard, was going to be handling some of the producing, and Michael Bay might be directing it. Ah, <laughs> uh, so okay. I don't know. Well, he knows how to do robots too, right. I guess. Uh, at least Michael Bay. At least Michael Bay goes out and shoots in the streets sometimes. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. That maybe true. he's maybe he's reaching the age where he wants to be in a nice air-conditioned studio. <laughs> you know. Who knows. Uh let's talk about the actors for a little bit. Mm. Um how did you feel about Ty Sheridan as the lead? I I guess I kind of didn't have I nothing jumped out at me as as negative. Um it's hard. It's tough because you're you're judging somebody based on like. I I didn't mind seeing him in the uh, real world stuff, but I felt like if they're doing, I feel like as soon as you get into a, an actor into a motion capture suit, their their mannerisms, everything becomes a little bit bigger, a little bit more cartoony almost, like because they're trying to like mm-hmm. compensate for the fact that they're not going to be on screen that and i'm sure like the direction is like make sure you up your motions and uh <laughs> use bigger arm waves and stuff which which ironically works for the movie um because right. that's where everyone's them it feels like they can finally let go and just be themselves so uh i didn't have any have any issues with him i i i wouldn't say he's the greatest actor in the history of the world or anything like that but i will say like you know, you always run the risk with younger actors where you're like, ugh, a lot is hinging on this kid. But uh, Spielberg still has a, a knack for working with anybody, no, no yeah. matter how experienced they are, I think. Uh, I would say that I've never seen Mud, which is the one that one movie he did, right, with McConaughey? Yeah, Richard? that was back in like 2012-ish, 2010, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Yeah, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. But I did see Skite's, uh, Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse and, and his version of Scott Summers in the X-Men movies. Mm. I, I just don't think that I, – I, I just don't – I find him very vanilla. I don't see him as, as very much of anything. So mm. I don't know if this was the right character for him or he was the right actor for this character. Uh, he very much is supposed to be vanilla when he's Wade Watts, but in, he, I guess he's supposed to grow into his Parsifal kind of character by the end of the movie. But I just, I, I think I would have liked someone else. I don't know who, but someone else. Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it speaks to the fact that, you know, like Tim was saying, I think he's still a, a very young, a very developing actor, and I'm sure he's going to come out of this experience of working with, you know, Spielberg and a lot of these other people, a better actor. Um, I think you're right. I think that he definitely worked for, for Wade. Um, but I also think that that's probably pragmatic of the film too right is that some of those character arcs aren't nearly as strong or as flushed out as what they are in the novel which of course i mean to be fair that makes sense as well because i mean you're talking about an hour 45 to two hours worth of material versus maybe i don't know depending upon how fast or slow you read eight to ten eight to twenty whatever it is in the book so i mean you know i think that is to be expected I didn't really have a problem with him as in terms of a performance thing for Parzival, but I do think I do think that, you know, adapting it and narrowing it down to a to a film, you do lose some of that in translation, but I don't think that that's entirely his fault. Hmm. Uh what about um uh the I I can't think of the, the name of the actor that plays James Holiday. Uh, oh, Mark Rylance? Uh, Rylan. Mark Rylance, yeah. I, How did he's, everybody... Isn't he, like, one of the UK's, like, premier uh, theater actors? Like, isn't he, like, the guy for, like, live stage theater? If not, he should be. I, I think he I, he's uh, astoundingly good at being so... Um, He's just one of those actors where you could probably watch him in five different performances, but only really be like, oh, wait, is that you're, – you're always like, oh, wait, is that the same guy? You know, like to somebody who doesn't follow theater or films or right. anything, they'd be mm-hmm. like, is that the guy from such and such? And to me, those are always the best actors where it's it's never – you know, they're not movie stars. They're, they're actors. And that's how I felt about him mm-hmm. where I was like, I want to see this guy a lot more. You know, I just thought he – he played the actor with such a level of sincerity where it was like, that is how that guy would be. That is how the guy that was this program, this nerdy <laughs> programmer who, who was like sheepish and had all these regrets about things he did or didn't do. I just felt like it all came through in with his performance, even in the minimal amount of time that he had on screen. Yeah, I I completely 100% agree with you. Like, if they would have done just a two-hour movie of Mark Rylance being James Halliday, like a a (laughs) biopic or something, I would have watched that, no doubt. And you're right. I think he is an incredibly transformative actor. I mean... He, I think this is his third time working with Spielberg now because they did BFG, they did Bridge of Spies, and, and now Ready Player One. And and just like you're saying, he is 100% different in every single one of those characters and in those roles. And so it was, if anything, yeah, I, I would have loved to have seen more of him in this movie. I think it would have been incredible to, to get a little bit more of him. Hmm. That's actually where I was going to say is that I, I really felt like he was underused in this uh, movie, that uh, it, he was almost wasted mm. uh, because he's not in it enough. And uh, I think I heard somewhere that Spielberg says that he will he's not going to make a movie without Mark Rylance now. I mean, I can see why. He's, he's yeah. his new Tom Hanks or whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, uh, Mark Rylance was in uh, – he wasn't he in um, – Dunkirk, Dunkirk yes. yes, which I thought, which that was another one of those where I was like, 
dude, this guy. That's a very complicated. That was a very complicated role to play, considering what the, that character was going through in Dunkirk in terms of like what's going on on the ship and stuff, and and the fact that this guy's like not turning around. If we can talk about Dunkirk for five seconds, but his performance, <laughs> his performance in that, I that was when I was like, man, this dude is just like he is just on. Like that's a guy who really fully you can tell fully understands everything about the scene what every character is going through around his own character and but but in a way that it it all feels spontaneous like it's happening right there the first time you're seeing it is when it's happening on the screen like very very good actor right. i think <clears throat> and then i would say the third main character main actor would be ben mendelson as the as saito sorrento, sorrento. sorry sorrento yeah uh, I the only thing that one of the things I have to say is that as being a, a big Superman fan that I am, uh, the fact that his avatar in the Oasis is an evil version, uh, <laughs> evil corporate version of Superman <laughs> just kind of hurt. So, yeah. uh, but uh, Mendelssohn, Mendelssohn, you know, I, I I can't say I've seen much other than when he was in Rogue One and then Mississippi Grind. Uh, he's definitely. Uh, I don't know. Got got him, got himself in there as the the kind of guy that you don't want to like. Typecast, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was he in uh, Dark Knight Rises as well? He was, yeah, yeah. Because that's what I was thinking of the whole. I was like, uh, and then uh, when you mentioned Rogue One and stuff, I was like, oh yeah, he's getting typecast. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> that's unfortunate. But you know, he he but he brings enough nuance. I thought he brought enough nuance to the character where. It didn't, f- even though it's very cliche, very cliche character to be playing, you know, uh, you know, like the evil corporate business guy uh, villain. Um, I thought there was he did enough with it where it didn't feel like he was being a ham. You know what I mean? Like it, it mm-hmm. even though some of the things he's saying and and the character's motivations, I did, I did feel like he he brought enough to it where it was like, okay. You know, I, 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 this isn't, it, it, I don't feel like I'm hearing something on repeat or, you know, like watching the same thing again. I will say that for him. Richard? No, yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree. I think he's still at a stage where, I, I feel like a lot of these actors are still at a stage where they're fairly relatively unknown to most people. And I think in, in some degree that, mystique also works well with this movie right because i feel like if you would have brought somebody in that was like a household name that everyone knew like for example tom hanks right like if tom hanks had been james halliday uh, i'm not saying he couldn't give that performance but i'm just saying there's already an instant disconnect that would have happened just because it was like tom hanks so I do think I do really think that Spielberg made a, a good judgment call on kind of using actors that are established but not household names. And I thought, you know, I thought Ben Mendelsohn did a really great job of of capturing Sorrento and kind of what I had imagined his character to be while reading the book. And I and I, I, I do think the evil Superman look was a really good little like jab in there especially from Spielberg like you said who's like you know I don't want to make comic book movies it's another good way to kind of 
sneak in his little social commentary that comic book movies are evil and you know they're destroying <laughs> cinema right because like that's basically what his character does in the movie so I, I did think that was a really nice little touch there too but yeah his performances were were very encapsulating of what my mind had painted for that character while reading the book and uh did did you did anybody okay did you feel the part when uh holiday is or at least the program that represents holiday is talking to parcival when he's giving him the egg um that was a setup for a sequel a possible sequel when he's like when he asks him are you still alive or you know whatever it was and he said yeah or something like that um i didn't imme- my mind didn't immediately go Oh, here comes a sequel. But um, I will say that uh, given that given that the whole thing had kind of a Willy Wonka thing, I was like, "Oh, when, when's where's the glass elevator?" You know, maybe the glass elevator is <laughs> next. Maybe they're gonna do a whole dark acid trip version for <laughs> for Ready Player Two or whatever they're gonna call it. But um, uh, I didn't. My mind didn't immediately go sequel when, during that. Yeah, I think for me that line is more indicative of what we see kind of at the end of the film where he's he's talking, Wade is talking, and he says, you know, we did a lot of things that were really popular, but we also did something that wasn't popular, and we made the Oasis shut down every Tuesday and Thursday. And to me, I think that's kind of more of – like I never got the sequel vibe, and, and I don't know, maybe that's just because I of reading the book so many times that a sequel to this was never even a possibility. Um, I just took it more as like a, as like a thing for uh, James Halliday to be kind of really planting that seed in Wade's mind that like, hey – you do need to still live in reality. Like you do still need to take time and make personal connections because I didn't, I never did that and I regretted it and you need to be alive. You need to make the world be alive again because I've essentially kind of killed it with the Oasis. That's kind of (laughs) what it stuck to me as a little bit more, but, but I think that's an interesting take that you, that you did go, Oh, here we go. Put another quarter in uh, let's cue this life up and go with the uh, second player. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, you know that that's kind of what I got. I just I just felt like that that him explaining to him that he's the you know kind of or not explaining or not explaining that he's the consciousness downloaded from Halliday into the game, so that he's Halliday actually is dead, but he's still kind of alive. That that's like the search for Holiday uh, is in the, is the second movie, you know, Ready Player Two, the search for Holiday. Kind of thing. <laughs> but I like your guys' explanation a It'll lot. It'll be better, like so. Ready Player One colon Ghosts of Holiday in the Shell. Um, and it'll be all anime <laughs> movies instead of you know traditional American pop culture. Uh, in re- there you go, you just sold it. In in, in reference to the uh, shutting down the Oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Do you think that was think that has anything to do with the fact that most movie theaters that's when they have their sales on tickets? Like Spielberg going, "Hey, 
on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Why don't you kids stop playing video games and go see <laughs> go see some movies? That's when they have their specials. I don't know. <laughs> like, it, it very well could be. I mean, yeah. well, a lot of our local theaters do Tuesday night classics, and I yeah, mean, a good yeah. number of those would be '80s based films. So, I mean, that is a. I, I didn't. I didn't quite make that connection, but I. <laughs> but I, I. I. Now that I, you're saying it, it makes perfect yeah. sense. I doubt it, but. Uh, but I was like, I was just sitting there going, "Hey, Tuesdays and Thursdays, that's when I used to go see movies." Uh, it's like, <laughs> like, are they trying to get me to go to the theater more? Maybe that's what they're doing. It very well could be. Uh, <laughs> so uh, then, overall, how did everybody feel about this, uh, about the movie, the, the whole as a you know as a whole? Should I start or? Yeah, yeah. Go for I it, th- uh, well, I I summed it up with a with a social media posts where I said Spielberg hasn't made a good movie since Jurassic Park. Uh, I wasn't... You guys read the book, so it's it's always tougher when you have a connection to the source material. Um, and as somebody who is just going in totally blind and is kind of burnt out on nostalgia constantly and would love to see more practical effects would love... Uh, granted, this is not a movie where it could ever be done with with practical <laughs> effects. So that element of it, I was like totally okay with. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 there were some parts where I was like, okay, all right. Yes. Cool. In here. Good. And then I felt like um, there was just a lack of lack of that lack of character development for me. If, if I'm not like really in there with characters that I really connect with and really like sympathize with, um, it becomes hard for it becomes hard for me to uh, to uh, care about the stakes. Uh, I will say this as as I'm saying that the se- the scene where she kind of um, where they're dancing in the club and she kind of has like the kind of the 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 girl has a breakdown moment where it's like the girl character gets mad at the guy character and now he's got to like, you know, patch things up. He's in the doghouse. That, that to me, that moment felt a little forced, but at the same time, I will say that um, those two characters, there were moments where I was like, okay, all right, I'm connected with these characters. I'm enjoying this. But overall, I don't know. I, I, I'm jaded and old, and everything stinks now. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm sorry. Get off I'm my just, lawn, kids. <laughs> that's where I'm at. That's I'm just out of touch with uh, with the kids. Where I'm like, yeah, oh, you guys don't know good movies. <laughs> All their movies were made on Snapchat, uh, yeah, Twitters and stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, I was rewatching <laughs> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and I was like, this is really good for what it was. <laughs> For what it was, this is exceptionally good. You know, I don't know. That, that's where I'm at. So, I I will say that it, it, I enjoyed it. I'll never watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Richard. Well, I, you know, it's I don't know. It's fascinating to me in in a sense, right? Because I look at this and I look at kind of the state of of video games right now, in the sense that a lot of them have kind of taken a lot of the deep or the deeper storytelling and the deeper characterization out and moved it more into mixed media in terms of like comic books novels all that sort of stuff 
And, you know, I mentioned playing Mass Effect Andromeda earlier, and that's that's kind of what's even happened with Mass Effect Andromeda is because I listened to one of the audiobooks that gives such a wonderful backstory of of kind of what leads up to where the game starts. And, I, and it feels really unfortunate that that wasn't in the game, right? And that's kind of what Ready Player One feels like, is having such a connection to the book, like what Tim was saying, and then seeing it brought to the movie, there's things that inherently I'm like, ah, I'm really bummed that they're not in there. But on the other side of the coin, I'm also like, man, it is so cool to see some life breathed into these characters and into this concept and this world that was created in this book. And to see some of the things represented very close to how I mentally was painting that picture while reading the book, um, I think was very rewarding. I think overall the the it is a popcorn flick, right? And I I think the book's a little bit deeper, but you know it is what it is, and there is time constraints. Um, I would say if you get the chance, though, Tim, I think you should read the book because even that scene you were talking about, where uh, Artemis and Parzival kind of have a falling out, that happens mm. differently in the book, and it, it it feels a lot more organic and not quite as contrived for the trope of oh well, the boy's gonna lose the girl, he's got to get her back now, you right. know. And and I think it is a little bit more rewarding in the novel, but again, it's it's. It is difficult because it's such a, a constraint of, of time, but I think he hit a lot of the broad strokes and a lot of the heart of what the book was. And mm-hmm. I I think, for me, I, I that's what made it really exciting, and I, I enjoyed that element of it a lot. Okay. But what about you, Mitch? Uh, so I was, like I said earlier, um, the movie up until the third act really was not doing it for me and I, I i think that's because of listening to the audiobook beforehand and knowing that there should have been a lot more um character development that i just felt wasn't existent mm-hmm. in the movie and and the way that they changed the a lot of the tests to um for getting the for getting the ring or the keys and stuff I, like i really felt like the way that like you said earlier the way that they got the first key was so much better than the race though the race was great visually to look at which i understand you wanted something big and spectacular to look at in the first uh you know part of Mm -hmm. the movie uh i also when i was visualizing the oasis um when listening to the book i honestly didn't ever see it as this uh animated video game looking thing i i honestly thought that when they made the movie that there would be uh it'd be more of a a real world look maybe with a a twinge of CGI or, or hologram look, but I, I, I really did expect there to be more, more live action than what we saw in this movie. And I think for me that did, that did hurt it. Uh, and cause I, from what, you know, the, 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 te- the challenges in the book don't really lend to needing to be animated in CGI. I don't think, uh, so, it, it, I guess I was a little disappointed at that point, but like I said, the third act really made this movie that much more enjoyable for me. And uh, I guess just out of the nostalgia and and pure, almost have a seizure from all the things <laughs> blinking and and flashing in front of my eyes. So uh, yeah, uh, I, I I I would say overall I enjoyed it. Nice. Uh, so. 
that that's Ready Player One. Uh, I think if uh, anybody else has, I mean, there's we probably could go on much longer about talking about this movie. Oh, but, sure. Uh, <laughs> if anybody else has some uh, input they'd like to throw our throw our way, you can get a hold of me on Twitter. I am Mitchipedia G E R on Twitter. So uh, if you want to, to get a hold of me, that's the best way to do it. Uh, Richard, you're also on yeah, Twitter? Yeah, I am at... Uh, my name is significantly easier than Mitch's. My God. Um, <laughs> uh, mine is uh, at Ry Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. And I'm at Tim Stabers, which is my real name, which is a huge mistake in the age... <laughs> in the age that we exist in. Oh, man, do I regret not putting on a face online. <laughs> Man, see, but, how are you going to exist in the Oasis? I don't know, dude. Everyone's going to be like, that guy's already dead. He's dead already because we found him. <laughs> <laughs> we fa- I, I have this terrible fear of like uh, of people busting down my door. You know, That's why I don't live stream because I've seen so many people get raided. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, oh, you know wow. what I mean? And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, swatting. Yeah. yeah. I was like, no, please. Please don't ever do that to me, please. <laughs> 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 uh tim but you did say something about uh you were gonna start up a vlog uh yes i <laughs> i'm starting a vlog uh and it's called uh uh nobody gives a shit hashtag nobody gives a shit <laughs> is the name of the vlog and i i'm something of a i don't know i'm just something of a contrarian i'm realizing right down to my religious beliefs where i'm like even the people that are in the religion i'm in don't like my beliefs and i was like i (laughs) think i should just share this with people so that at the very least you can be that you know that make yourself the enemy so that other people can have like a nice conversation in the comments where they can either agree to hate you or you know reach some sort of agreement but yeah that's um uh, hashtag nobody gives a shit is uh, is the name of the kind of the vlog. I'll, I'll have some guests, and I'm doing it from the back of my car, so that I can. I'm kind of set up a nice. studio. I bought this like uh, this suction cup thing for my windshield, so I can drive to where guests might be, and uh, you know what I mean, like and uh, and and do things that way. So I'm gonna be posting to YouTube. Uh, Definitely check out the Instagram. That's where I'll be posting the most of the advertising and stuff. And I'm also now cross-posting to BitChute. I don't know if you guys use BitChute yet, but... I haven't even heard of that. It's a terrible name. I will say that. (laughs) But uh, after VidMe shut down, um, like, there's kind of no alternative to YouTube. And given the tumultuous techno world we're in right now, I'm just kind of like, any alternatives, I'm like, posting there as well. But... Uh, you know the the only the biggest advantage to like being an early adapter to a new social media is every social media ad, uh, like once they develop like the star for that social media they're like oh there's like 20 people who are like famous on YouTube for like you know PewDiePie is the face of YouTube essentially you know and it's like right. so I'm always like I'll be the face of BitChute and people's like nobody's no one's going on BitChute what are you out of your mind <laughs> <laughs> so I they're very like staunch like they don't censor stuff you know you you might run into pornography if you don't have your settings correctly but but uh, you know that's the world we live in so just don't look at it if you're not into it but uh, but. Yeah, I'm I'm big on whoever whoever's like we're not censoring anything. You can talk about whatever you want. I'm like, cool. I'll be there, and I'll try to be well. I'll right. try to be well behaved, so that it do, so it doesn't <laughs> go away. So, 
Yeah. Hashtag nobody gives a shit. <laughs> that that reminds me of uh, Zack Snyder. He's going really hard into that Vero like uh, social media. The I did you uh, get, did either of you set up an account on Vero? I, yeah. I did. Or, I did. Yeah. But I, I set up an it. account, and I, I set up. An, I always set up an account, and then I haven't used it. I heard in their uh, their agreement, they basically own your content. Whatever you post on there, Ooh. I think they own. So I was like. Uh, need to look at that closer yeah you might want to read that read that a little bit closer because you know as we're as we're writing this (laughs) as we're as we're recording this zuckerberg is uh you know descending capitol hill right now so yeah uh all right thank you thank you tim for showing up and and being on on the show once again and and, uh, indulging us with uh our Ready Player One. Oh, dude, uh, happy to ha- happy to be on and, and talk nerd talk with with anybody. So <laughs> thanks very much for having me. And definitely keep us uh, up- updated on anything you're sure, doing. Sure, absolutely. And likewise to you guys, Rich. Before we go, are you are you working on anything these days, or uh, like uh, v- film wise, or um, anything? well, um, but yeah, I uh, I worked on this uh, short film. Um, gosh, it was probably. I don't know, it feels like a lifetime ago, but I'm sure it was only last year. It was called Mama, and uh, they actually sold it to Showtime and aired it on uh, Showtime on April 2nd. And um, it was it was kind of a the kind of a without giving too much away, it was a little boy who kind of essentially ends up going into uh, foster care. And so from what I understand of it was when they sold the film, all the money that they sold it for, they donated to foster charities, uh, which I thought was was super, super cool. Um, there was also another movie that I worked on called Stasis that's uh, on Netflix now, which is uh, kind of kind of it was kind of weird to like watch a movie that I worked on be on Netflix, uh, but also mm-hmm. kind of cool as well. And then um, currently, I'm I've got uh, I've kind of taken a little bit of a step back from from taking on a bunch of other jobs uh, as I'm working on trying to finish up my my masters. Um, which is, well, bachelor's and my master's at the same time. So both okay. kind of hand in hand. Um, so that, that hasn't left me with much free time. But then I also realized that I was just putting so much time and effort into everybody else's projects that the stuff mm. that I wanted to do for me was completely taking like, not even a back seat, but it was like a trailer on a truck that had unhitched from the tra- you know the the hitching post and was like rolling down the hill. So um, I got a couple of shorts that uh, that I'm working on now. So hopefully I'll be able to shoot those pretty soon. But but yeah, that's kind of it for right now. <laughs> now. All right, sounds like a lot. Yeah, yeah. What about you though? Are you? I mean, you got the feature thing coming up for uh, Dream of Me, but uh, you got some other cool shorts or uh, anything other than the vlog in the in the pipeline. Um, jeez, Louise, I'm trying to think. Well, I'm, I'm I am writing. Uh, I've been Ubering. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should say ride sharing. I'm trying to get into the <laughs> the habit of not using the the name of the product. Just saying, like you know, it's like Band Aid. Yeah, it's adhesive strip, you know. Right, right. Um, So, like, yeah, I've been doing the rideshare gig, and I actually was like, you know, this could be a great format for like a clerks type of 
like an updated version of Clerks. Like I, I sat down and watched Clerks and uh, my dinner with Andre <laughs> because I was like, I don't do anything that's really dialogue heavy. I'm much more of a visual person. And I was like, but I've kind of come up with this kind of structure where I, uh, where I think I may actually start writing that. And I might pull a Soderbergh and shoot it with iPhones and just kind of do it as cheap and on the low as possible. And I may even go all out and do it in black and white just to really make it as indie as, <laughs> as I can. So that's what I'm working on. But, uh, but uh, I'll keep you updated on that because I was like, uh, you know, I wouldn't need a huge crew and, and whoever I do use, I want to make sure that I can pay them properly and, yeah. and you know, raise the money correctly and, and not like overextend myself and, and cast a bunch of like, you know, me, up and coming media personalities and be like, I wrote this part for you. Be in this, you know, and, I think that's and a by, great the, idea. by the, and by the way, we're, do it for free. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <you know? right. laughs> so that's what I'm working on, but I, I'm actually pretty excited about that, but, but I'm simultaneously um, punching up the script for the feature of of uh, Dream of Me, Dream of Me, which uh, which you know that's that's the baby, you know, like yeah. that's that's the one that I I really would love to get get cracking. So no, I think that's fantastic. I'm definitely looking forward to all of that. Yeah, thank you, Mitch. I'm not working on anything. <laughs> I'm just trying to do. That's Aside not, from that's as- not true. Aside from the dude, the WonderCon pictures and stuff, it looks like you had a blast. You you I did have you a blast are writing that. something that you're looking at filming. Don't don't be bashful and shy now. Yeah, hire a hype man, dude. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Let me tell you how great Mitch is. World, um, there, there you go. Gather round. Story all right, time. I'll listen to this guy talk about <laughs> another guy. Yeah, that's essentially uh, all an agent or a manager does. Yeah, you know? that's tr- that's actually true. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Uh, okay, yeah. So the one thing that I am really focusing on a lot, uh, I, I'm trying to write a little web series uh, that's essentially about these two police officers, two detectives that work in a library. They're library cops, and that's their whole thing, is that they're stuck in the 70s, everything else is, is modern time, but they very much, it's very much uh, police procedural uh, tropes over and over, but in this library setting. And <laughs> and it's like five-minute episodes and uh, just, uh, you know, funny farce things. Awesome. I, I, I'm in. I'm already in. I love. I love send ups of cop shows. I absolutely love send ups of cop shows. See, and so do I. That's that's basically where that came from. So. Awesome. All right. Thank you. So, uh, this has been the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Radio Network. Saying, always remember to geek out. Geek out. Should I have said it too? <laughs> geek out. <laughs> He can just edit it, sync it all up. It'll be. It'll I was just going to say, here, let me do one more take. Geek out. There we go. <laughs> Nailed it. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.